welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here in Zoom land with Grace Long, Renewable Client Development Manager at Schneider Electric. Grace, how's everything in your world today? Everything's great, Justin. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you so much for taking the time. Normally, I schedule these things way out in advance, and because we had our school thing last night and I don't know, you just paused and I was like, and I've been thinking about getting you on the podcast because I think you have a really interesting background and what you're doing right now with your, with your career and, you know, school and everything else. I was like, Grace would be the perfect guest. And so thanks for like last minute saying yes. Cause most people that don't do this regularly are like, Oh yeah, let me give it some time to think about it. And then, you know, but you were like all in, which I figured you were. So thank you so much for yeah, doing Yeah, <laughs> of course. And I love I loved chatting with you anyways. So it's just like having another conversation with my buddy. Yeah, it is totally. And for the listeners out there, actually, I met Grace while attending grad school at the University of Colorado Denver Business School. We worked through several projects together, had some ups and downs, some tears, some laughs, you know, just the, the struggle of grad school. And, you know, we, we hit it off, you know, you're kind of, I mean, you have a background in sales, you're very personable. And so right away, I was like, yeah, Grace, you know, we'll vibe for sure. And so we did well. And, you know, I think we made a pretty solid team, wouldn't you say? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> both, both you and I love to collaborate with others. <laughs> yeah. Worked off each other's strengths and weaknesses really well. So yeah. it, was, it was totally awesome working with you. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. And likewise, so this episode will likely be released after Christmas. But I mean, I have to ask, and you've got the lights on the coming up the stairs. How's the holiday season treating you so far? Are you loving it? Yeah. You know, the weather's a little weird in Denver. We've had some like hot streaks, weird winds. <laughs> I think we're finally getting some snow during Christmas. So oh, nice. we got the in-laws coming in on Monday and I think it'll feel a little bit more like the holiday season once, once they arrive. Isn't that true? So, and I was explaining this before we started recording, but I was in Denver this week taking some customers out for dinner. And the following morning, I went and I had some stuff I had to take care of at eight o'clock in the morning with some folks. And I got there, everything was good. And I hadn't had a coffee yet. And we had some time. So, hey, I'm just going to like walk a few blocks and get a coffee. And so I walk, it's nice out. And yeah, it was like, 65 degrees or whatever it was like it was super comfortable well i'm in there i get my coffee and then i go to go out of the coffee shop and it's hailing sideways and i had to like shake my head i was like wait i didn't think i drank that much last night to not realize it was hailing walking here but i had to like essentially run back to the studio and i had you know this light colored shirt on and a coffee and and i was like getting pelted i had like I had my mask on still because it was like protecting my face. And then I had to like cover my eyes and like I was trying to make it back and my shoes got soaked and I looked like I had a shower, I spilled coffee all over myself. But it literally went from like 
beautiful morning to hail tsunami to then like five minutes later, it was totally fine. Like what the hell? (laughs) I know yesterday was really crazy. We've been getting some weird weather, but yesterday was definitely out of the ordinary. (laughs) Yeah. So whenever I'm there, I usually take Ubers around and I was asking the Uber driver because there was like no snow on the ground, which you would think right now, December, it is winter, right? So is this, and I mean, I've been in Denver quite a bit over the years, but is this typical for Denver to not have snow in December? So Denver typically doesn't get a ton of snow anyways, which is how we like it. You know, like to keep the snow up in the mountains. I would say what's unseasonable is the temps are just warmer than usual. So usually we get more colder 40s, 30 degree days, but it's been, it's been odd 50s, 60s, very mild. And then the mountains haven't really been getting a ton of snow either. So it's been a late kickoff to winter. So hopefully we can pick things up in the spring. Right. Is it just me or to me, it seems like, and even here in Houston where I'm at, like the coldest weather last year for us was obviously the February freeze and even into March. But it seems to me like the winters, like the colds shifting to more like almost spring and it's staying warmer longer. Like, is that... Or am I just imagining this? No, I'm noticing that too, you know, and I could be, feels like, you know, climate change is definitely playing a role, just unseasonably weather. You don't have those like true seasons too much anymore. It just feels like you don't really know what you're going to get every (laughs) December or, you know, in the spring, you know, what you're going to get there. Sometimes it's absolutely dumping and that's when, you know, everyone's skiing sometimes we call it early. So yeah. No, that's crazy. crazy. So are this resorts open right now? They're open. We went up to Keystone last week. I mean, nice. Only a couple runs, crowded like rush hour traffic on those things. You got oh. the tourists in town, and we only did about a couple runs and said, let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> you're going to get crushed out here. So, oh, yeah, I can imagine. And so I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts is Snacks Daily. And they basically do like a 15 minute overview of the stock market and just like, like high level business news. And they kind of throw a comical spin into it. But one of the interesting episodes recently was they were talking about the like veil and like the seasons coming up. And I guess the Epic pass this year, they put it out at like a 20% discount expecting like a, like to increase the volume of passes, but it like tripled and so they're expecting like record numbers of people to be in the mountains this year because of the epic pass being cheap which so I mean, crazy which like to I, me, I am I'd a sucker like, to that discount i switched from the icon to epic this year because oh, you it was did. too good of a deal yeah it was too good of a deal i couldn't believe it <laughs> right like, so all right i'm sold <laughs> <laughs> which i'm sure tons of people did yeah. obviously and now look at what we're in now now literally i'm yielding both left and right heads on the swivel you know <laughs> can't even believe it right it to me like when i heard that all i could think about is like you know when you kick an anthill and like ants just like go like that to me is what the what the skills are going to be like ants covered in the mountains totally it's going to be insane but it's a lot of me yelling come on man what the hell what are you doing the the whole time yeah and then of course you get tourists you don't really know what they're doing and i'm sure that just adds a whole other element of annoyingness (laughs) Yeah, I have, I definitely have ski run road rage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. And so are you, and I think you're a boarder or a skier? 
snowboarder. Yeah. Nice. And you've been boarding for a while, right? Yeah. A long time since, I don't know, since I was 13, I'm 30. Jesus, what am I? 32 now. Okay. So for, for quite some time. So enjoy it. Yeah. I got into backcountry last year. Oh, nice. So, you know, putting my life on the line, unfortunately. You're you're kind of a thrill seeker though, right? Like you grew up playing sports, you've had multiple concussions, like. Yeah. Yeah. And really the backcountry is, was more to get away from the crowds and the skinning, the hike up is actually more enjoyable than the the ride down because it's so quiet. It's so beautiful. Really? Yeah. And you're with your friends and you spend the whole day out there. You have your lunch, but yeah, you just have the, the risk of the avalanche that we take into consideration all the time. So. No doubt. So, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of backcountry, but like, where do you normally like to venture to? Everything as low risk as humanly possible. So (laughs) it really depends on the conditions, but like, there's some little spots like behind copper. I can't think of the names in this exact moment. I'm blanking now. But like, you don't need a helicopter to get to these things. No, heck no. Some of the spots are like old ski runs or old resorts. Oh. And then some of them are different, like little, I don't know, areas behind resorts. So it's not too, too crazy. I haven't stepped into the kind of next level of insane backcountry. I like to stick to where I like to come home. I just looking to, I'm just looking to get a workout, you know? <laughs> <laughs> nice. I would love to do that. I've never done backcountry growing up at, like in British Columbia. We did a little bit, but not like where we had to hike. But now my buddies, now they're older and you know, have careers making money. A lot of them have bought sleds and they'll sled to like these remote areas on the mountains and then like board and ski and yeah. kind of create their own adventure, which is, yeah. oh, I get like, of course, so scrolling cool. Instagram and I'm like, I'm in Texas. What am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, is that, that's cool. But before we keep going, I do need to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Their new and integrated iComplete ecosystem. Well, I'll rephrase myself. It's not even really new. They've been at it for a while now, but it's digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the well-pad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. To discover more about all the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn. We're also doing our monthly happy hours here in Houston. Check out OGGN.com for details on all our events. And please make sure to look at all the other OGGN podcasts. We have a ton of new podcasts coming out that cover everything from new technology, ESG, leadership, pretty much anything you can think of in the energy space. Again, visit OGGN.com for more details. Anyway, Grace, back to you. I'm sorry I missed you while I was in Denver, but hopefully the next time when I'm there, we can catch up. So I want to get into your career perspective, but where are you? Because you're not from Denver, right? You're from the Northeast. Is that right? Virginia. Virginia. So yeah, East Coast, a little bit farther South. Gotcha. So Right outside DC, Northern Virginia. Ah, okay. And so what was it like growing up there? I don't think I've met anyone from there. Honestly, it was great. I mean, if anyone knows the Northern Virginia, the DMV area, DC, Maryland, Virginia, you know, great schools, had a great public school education, you know, lived in the suburbs, typical kind of, you know, family life, got into every sport I can think of. You know, Virginia is very, since you're so close to DC, you're around so much history constantly. 
you know? So every opportunity my dad could get, you know, we were headed to the museums, they're free, you know, they're yeah. awesome to take some time going around there, headed to airports, walk around. Like it's just, it's just really cool to have that as your backyard a little bit, the monuments and everything like that, where like people would go for yearly school trips. You know, my dad would take us there to get energy out and play tag and run around and wow, get the bikes out there. So it was awesome being around DC. No kidding. So are you much of a history buff like now or is it kind of like, yeah, uh, I appreciate it a lot more now before, you know, like the, you know, natural history museum and like seeing all the butterfly pavilion, all that stuff was really cool. I think I was just more in awe of like how these buildings have been around for so long. They're beautiful in my opinion, but I didn't appreciate the history then. I just kind of loved it being my playground essentially. And then yeah. now definitely appreciate it more, but you know, Williamsburg is, is easy to get to Jamestown is easier to get to. So we had all these like crazy battlefield historic spots that, you know, you'd go for school trips. That was easy. Unlike some kids where it's like their whole summer trip, you know, to go and maybe they've been there once and that's huh. it. So, yeah. And you'll have to excuse my geography ignorance, but is it close to the water? Yes, kind of like the Maryland beaches. You're about, you're under two hours from, from that area. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's close to the coast for sure. Yeah. In, in the like winters and stuff, you get four seasons and all that. Yeah. You get four seasons, a lot of humidity. Yeah. But honestly, the fall and the spring is just so beautiful in Virginia. A lot of big, big trees, the Appalachian mountains, and they change like beautiful colors. And then DC, you have the cherry blossoms and those are so pretty. So yeah, I actually miss that from being out here in Colorado. You don't really get that like true fall. Right. And so when did you move to Denver? I actually ended up going to Colorado State University in Fort Collins for school. And then that's what got me hooked and went back home for a couple of years to work and save some money, live with the folks, and then came out about eight years ago with my wow. now husband. So yes, that's right. And yeah, Jason is that's your husband, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a beauty. Grace <laughs> and Jason had me over for supper one night and we just had a blast sitting on the patio upstairs. Yeah. And so again, yeah, big shout out to Jason. He's a stud. And so would you ever move like would you ever consider moving back? Like, is that ever a thing for you? We kind of like had those inklings during like the height of COVID. And I think it's more so being homesick and missing family more yeah. in the sense, but no, I don't think so. At least not now. I like too many outdoor activities here to move back. Yeah, no, I got gotcha. you. So you go to, you know, it was Colorado State University, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, what did you major in? Mm, something so irrelevant to what I do now. <laughs> <laughs> Public relations. I mean, business is my minor, but PR for my, for my major, I had no idea what I wanted to do in college, probably like most people. Right. So why'd you go there? <laughs> to ski. Okay. <laughs> to snowboard. Yeah. No yeah. It makes sense. I wanted to get the hell out of Virginia. I wanted to go where there's mountains. CU Boulder at the time, the out of state was wicked expensive. So I was like, you know, I looked at CSU and I was like, no, this place is awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Fort Collins. Awesome. And that's, that's North of Denver or where's Fort Collins? That's an hour. Yeah. Hour North. Okay, cool. Yeah. So definitely close to the mountains. Yeah. 
Nice. And then when you graduated, what, what was the path after that? So going back to the Northern Virginia area, worked in more of the government sector space. That's typically where a lot of young people end up going. And I worked for a third-party reseller company called Imix, Imix Group at the time and was in cybersecurity sales. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I hmm. kind of thought cybersecurity was going to be my path for a while. No kidding. Is that yeah. something that had interested you or you kind of just stumbled upon it? Or Yeah, I was really interested. Obviously, it's a huge need. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, I really thought that was going to be the, the path. And then I made a lifestyle change to move to Denver. And there's not... Yeah, I just decided... I just changed companies completely. Yeah. yeah. And then... because So you have a sales background. And when you went to Denver, was it then you started selling on the solar panel side? No. So... Went to actually web conferencing, which was interesting. I kind of picked the company over the solution. I had Mm. a great time there, but still in sales. And then stumbled upon a renewable energy project intelligence software tool. So basically collected like all the data a developer would need in order to identify the market and pick where they maybe want to, you know, develop a project. So Uh. that's how I got into renewable energy learning the ins and outs of the grid, policy, projects, the key players. So it just kind of happened organically. It was just, I was looking for a new sales job and I happened to stumble into renewable energy. No kidding. And what, like, was it fascinating to you at the time? And and did you have sort of, did you have an idea that that was going to be such a sort of a large component to like energy transition or were you just at the time, was it just like, oh, this is a job? Or did you understand like this, the large scope of which you were sort of entering into? In the beginning, no. I was there for five years and it really didn't start truly picking up till maybe my year three. And you just saw the magnitude of companies being interested, the change and realizing, wow, I go to these conferences, I'm going to I'm having these great conversations, but I actually really enjoy this. This isn't just like, hey, I need to get my sale or dreading another conference. It's like, I really loved talking with people about this space. So that's when I kind of knew I got to stay in here. Yeah, no kidding. And then at what point did you decide to go back to school? So that happened during COVID, kind of had a moment. I was, you know, pivoted from the software space. I really wanted to dive deeper into, you know, renewable energy and went to a solar manufacturing or solar distributor, Connect Solar. And that's when I realized, I think I wanted to go back to school. And, you know, if I wanted to be a leader in this space, you know, for me, a long-term goal is being a leader in the international market. One day I had to get my, you know, kind of my schooling up to par and have that, have that baseline of an MBA in place in, in, energy. So that's what I decided to go to school. Yeah. And it totally makes sense. I think it's a natural path, but then how did you decide or how did you come across the global energy management program? The flexibility, honestly, Googling, doing a lot of Google. (laughs) Yeah. Because I had no idea this program existed, really. I didn't know what programs existed. You know, like when we went to undergrad, renewable energy majors, sustainability, that just didn't exist. Right. And so I was like starting from square one, but I was 
worried that I was going to find a program where I'd have to give up working. Uh, yeah. And I just really didn't want to do that. And and that was going to be my big driver. If, if I had to do that, I'd be like, nah, okay, I'll, I'll figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. And CU Denver stumbled upon it and realized, oh my God, they actually, it's working professionals in the space. You can continue to work and you can also, you know, they'll adapt to your schedule a bit. So I loved that, how they did that. Yeah. And I completely agree. And that's similarly to you, mine, again, the reason, and this certainly isn't about me, but again, I, I knew the need for me to go back to school was there. And I honestly, I, th- I think I saw like on LinkedIn or something one day, it was like an ad and it was like, are you in energy and do you want to advance in your career? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, that was easy. But yeah. And then, cause for me, I was actually going to do, so if you're familiar with the oil and gas cycles, obviously there's a lot of volatility or back in 2014, 15, 16, there was, you know, a pretty, pretty considerable downturn. And, you know, of course all the headlines, oil and gas is over and, you know, everyone's leaving. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, I got to go back to school. So I found the program then, and actually basically they went through the whole process of applying, but then fortunately my company was doing really well and things started picking back up and, I was still quite busy and I was like, ah, maybe I'll just wait. And then, you know, COVID comes and I was like, okay, now I really need to do this. But yeah, it was similarly to me. It was like, it checked all the boxes. It was, and and one thing that was interesting too, is that it mentioned, and even looking at some of the alumni, they came from all walks of energy. It wasn't like, you know, a bunch of oil field folks getting their masters or it wasn't, you know, it, what it didn't really like compartmentalize anyone. It was like anyone who's even remotely interested in energy this is the program for you. And it t- literally touches on anything, everything and everything. And, and it doesn't necessarily make you like a, like a subject matter expert in any particular field, but it gives you enough of a base to have a strong skill set and a very broad skill set, which for me was, was awesome. And so, yeah, big shout out to the gem program and everyone involved. And so for you, and then, so you started, so you started, cause you started a little bit after, me right one semester i i missed that first quarter yeah that's right yeah so what's been your favorite part aside from like obviously the work life or the balance and and the ability to be flexible but what would you say your biggest takeaway has been from it so far a big value that i've you know gotten out of this is it brings a lot of confidence for you to have a seat at the table with those with that leadership just like you said it's so well-rounded so you really feel like you're not lost in those higher up conversations. You can contribute. It's that baseline that I think I was missing before. Mm-hmm. I also love, and this could have been just specific to our cohort, how small we were. That was so awesome. How you work with the same people throughout each cohort. Those four days, while it can be brutal sometimes, we're, we're so awesome. You know, I'd love to have some of those in person, but you know, that was an incredible experience. And then just talking to all the alumni throughout the process has been really great too. You really just stick with that, with this core group of almost like a fraternity throughout the whole period. And then afterwards, you know? Right. And thank goodness for technology because, and and again, a shout out to, you know, the school and the institution and Sarah and Michelle and everyone for actually figuring out how to do this completely remotely. Cause like you're saying, uh, and for the listeners out there, it's typically you know, the first four days of each quarter, which I always call them a semester, but they're called quarters is, is in person in Denver. So everyone gets, you know, from wherever they are, whether it's, you know, we had a gentleman from LA, you know, we had folks from, 
Mexico City, there was a gentleman and myself from Houston. And so like people from everywhere come together and, you know, Seth being, he's in Qatar right now. And so, yeah, it, it was neat to be able to come together, hear everyone's experience and really learn what everyone else is doing and, and how, you know, energy isn't just this like little compartment that you work in, which sometimes it feels like it, but there's, there's just to have everyone come together is such a cool experience. So then did you change jobs during school? Right. Cause yeah. you re- you recently, okay. So yeah, talk about the transition and then I'm, I'm really interested in what you're doing now. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a big believer in networking. You know, I think our space is, especially renewable energy is small. I know it might not feel that way, but people, everyone knows everyone for the most part, you want to make sure you keep your relationships in check. And I find that the more people I can talk to, get coffee with, have a phone call with just, just the better Mm -hmm. to understand their experience, see where maybe I can fit in in the future. So the process of going to Schneider happened you know, through, through networking and having conversations with one person to the next person of other companies that led me to someone at Schneider. And I moved over to Schneider because I, I really just, I wanted to do more in the space. I wanted to make a bigger impact. And what the clean tech group is doing over there is, you know, we're helping, you know, Fortune 100 companies, large corporations with their sustainability and renewable energy goals, help them navigate through, okay, you know, shit, the board wants us to set up a net zero goal. We've never done that before. How do we do that? You know, what's that step? What does it mean to be net zero? What are actions that we need to take? What's our scope one, two, and three? You know, how do we kind of go through that process? And that's what the clean tech group does at Schneider Electric and Boulder. So gotcha. they were purchased by Schneider about seven years ago. It used to be a smaller company out there, Renewable Choice, and they've been experts in this space for a long time. So no kidding. So it you know it's it's fascinating because when I remember hearing that you had switched and, and you're oh I'm at Schneider Schneider Electric, like because Schneider Electric traditionally don't for some reason I thought they sold like power tools, dongles, and you know like every <laughs> yeah. everything. Schneider is huge. And they have their paws in a lot of things. Yeah, things that have nothing to do with renewable energy. There's a natural gas segment. There's a larger sustainability segment. There's a software segment. There's, you know, it's it's a lot of stuff. Yeah. So when people say Schneider, I mean, you could be thinking about a lot of things. Yeah. No. And it's it's fascinating. And so getting into obviously they they had the foresight to purchase. What do you say it was renewable renewable now? choice? Renewable choice. So obviously now they're doing well and, and really helping companies. Uh, what is your role specifically? Like take us through kind of what you do and and like a typical sort of because there's a lot of companies. And the reason I'm saying this is because you know, most of my audience is oil and gas, and there is such pressure from the investment community, you know, regulations, policy, all the stuff that is really and a lot of companies who are aligned with the Paris Agreement, and and for listeners, whether you agree with it or you think it's bogus, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, it's happening, and and we need to adapt. You know, we can put up resistance as much as we want, but at the end of the day, I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. And so, Grace, and and again, you don't have to speak on the oil and gas side, but like 
walk us through some examples of companies and you don't have to mention them if it, if you can't disclose it, but like who have actually benefited from coming to someone like yourself and Schneider Electric to say, Hey, we have no idea what we're doing, but we know we need to sort of pivot and, and become, you know, more of a, you know, sustainable type company. Can you walk us a little bit through that and, and how you would typically help a company achieve their goals? Yeah. So I work with companies, my specific segments range from the triple M, you know, segment, which is mining minerals and metals, which is, could be similar to your oil and gas folks, you know, that type of customer base coming into sporting venues and universities. So I I work with a wide range of folks, hospitality, and the process typically starts off with what drove them to connect with Schneider. And usually it stems from, you know, board pressure, stakeholder pressure. I'm hearing a lot of employee pressure. Okay. Internal sort of, Hey, we need to. Absolutely. Like, so it's this trigger that's happening or, Hey, oh my gosh, our competitors, they're doing something. Wow. Good point. Yeah. And I'm seeing them in the news and we got to do something. And it doesn't need to necessarily mean you want to be a market leader. I'll ask the question, do you want to, you know, lead in the space or do you want to just make sure you're not fall behind? And if they say they don't want to fall behind, that's totally okay. You know, that's, I know this is new and could be a slower process for different companies. So once we kind of identify those drivers, the why, then that leads us to, okay, understanding what's your electricity consumption now? What's some low hanging fruit we can address, you know, which can be your scope to their actual energy that's at their offices, that's at their, you know, maybe their data centers, their direct electricity consumption. You know, usually when you look at this process, you know, goals are set out way in advance, 2040, 2050. Yeah. So companies can say to us, maybe we want to set up incremental milestones. Maybe we want to take the whole time to reach our 2040 goal. Right. And we just kind of go off their pace, typically and let them know what their options are, especially based on where the market's at. The US market's really volatile right now. So there's so much demand. There's the rec prices, renewable energy credits, you know, what measures how much, you know, one megawatt hour of, you know, solar wind that goes into the grid of renewable energy credit is generated. That price is is skyrocketing. You know, ESG reports are higher than ever. So with all that pent up demand, there's just not enough supply. So we want to make sure we're very, we give our clients as much ammo as possible to make sound decisions for their company. Right. That makes so sense. It's, it's not always about, you know, pushing for, Hey, you got, you got to procure solar right now. It's okay. You know, we understand you don't want to take on a ton of risk. You know, we know this is new for you you have these goals set, you, you need to hit them. What's the best way to do that for your company? Gotcha. And so are, are your solutions or what you provide specific to Schneider? Or do you say out of your criteria that you've provided, you may want to reach out to XYZ company and deal with them? Or like, what is it that once once you provide or once you understand what they're looking for, is it all Schneider sort of products and services that you then provide or is it are you going to market then saying here or or like you kind of like a broker or like you know what i mean yeah we are a completely non-biased independent advisor in this space you know Ah, we don't have 
projects that we're developing, we're not tied to any utility or retail provider whatsoever. So when they hire us, we'll sit on their side of the table and say, okay, XYZ company, you want to explore a power purchase agreement? Great. We're going to create an RFP for you and Ah, go out to the market on your behalf and collect offers from developers across North America, across the globe, wherever their load is. And walk through that selection process with the client. Gotcha. So then we have we have experts that handle financial modeling and you know handle the risks and on top of that on top of understanding the projects that are coming in and the offers and what looks better than other projects we then also go through a ton of stakeholder education because when you're looking to explore renewable energy procurement, you need legal on board, treasury on board, accounting on board, executives on board. You need all these different folks across the entire company. And so as we are helping them with the RFP process, it's a lot of education. Each group, we're walking them through how to be how to get your credit in order, you know, understanding the accounting process, you know, is this a derivative or not? When it gets to the board, you know, what they're going to be looking for. So there's all these different educational weekly conversations we are having with the company. So when it's time to sign that contract and you get into a 10 to 15 year contract for that solar or wind project or whatever it may be, everyone's ready. Everyone's on board. That is actually, so that makes so much sense to me now. I, I was kind of, it was kind of great for me at first, but you know, obviously I hadn't asked as many questions, but so really, so you could represent or like Schneider Electric could represent anybody, right? Like you're, you guys, I mean, if, I don't know, local Joe's crab shack restaurant wanted to be more sustainable, like, or, or is it certain, like you said, obviously it's usually it's larger. It's usually big fortune 100 companies typically. Gotcha. So, okay. And the reason I ask is because there's probably like, again, the folks listening, they could be small service companies who may employ 10 people, or, I mean, it could be large corporations, who knows, right? Like listening to, to the podcast and if, and if they're interested, it's like, oh, wow. Like, well, I wonder if we would hit the mark. So what, for, for anyone listening, what would you suggest or how could folks reach out to either you or one of your sales representatives or what would be the process if someone's interested that's listening? So Schneider has a perspective webpage where it really walks through the different segments, you know, so it, you know, if you're in real estate, if you are in oil and gas, if you're in food and beverage, it walks through those different segments and what we're seeing in the space, you know, just okay. press releases, news articles, things like that, just so companies can get a feel for maybe what their peers are doing. Gotcha. Or what other companies are doing. And if you go to Schneider Electric's website, there's a ton of ways to connect with us there. Okay. But for the smaller companies, I say we work with more of the larger companies because they have such a large large load, you know, a large scope one, scope two, scope three that we're dealing with. It's complicated problems that we're trying to navigate with them. That's why they bring someone like us on. But for smaller companies that maybe have a smaller load, say like a university, you know, not all universities need to work with me, need to work with us. Yeah. And sometimes it's as simple as, you know, hey, I, I think I want to bring on-site solar to our campus. I want our students to see 
that we, you know, a project here that they can actually go to, it's tangible, and that it could be a learning experience for them. Or, you know, on the efficiency side, we want to change all our light bulbs to, you know, LED or, or something like that. Yeah. Those are all things that can be done with just a little bit of research. Sure. And of course, we're happy to help, but there are smaller, low hanging fruit that companies can do without needing to bring Schneider in. Ah, uh, okay. To help with that. Yeah. Perfect. No, that makes total sense. So, what would you say when you take a step back and look at everything that you're doing? What do you like most about your role and what you're doing with Schneider? It is truly, I love how complicated the problem is. You know, that like what's happening now might not be something we're doing in the future. It could be something completely different. You know, renewable energy is, is changing. We're, we're trying to solve for, you know, climate change in this, in this very complicated problem. And the space is ever evolving, which yeah. is so awesome. And what I love about it is it's these large corporations or these big companies that you hear of day in and day out that want to make a difference. They want to do something. They know there's something they need to do here. And it's up to us to figure out the best way to help solve that problem for them. And that's what I love about, about my job, working with these companies and actually seeing you know, someone like Walmart putting together a, a supply chain program. You know, They have to handle... So a big thing that we do at Schneider is work with the scope three, that we work with the supply chain. And, you know, Walmart was one of the first that put that together with us and say, hey, we have all these tiny suppliers that, you know, just like we talked about, small mom and pop shops, like they can't sign a PPA on their own. They can't, you know, they don't have the resources to look at this information. Why don't we put them all together in a cohort? Schneider, you work on the education, you corral them through the process and they can go in on a PPA together. A lot of aggregation can go on there. So they can address their scope two and Walmart can address their scope three. So it's like a lot of really interesting solutions and unique ways of looking at this problem that makes this job so interesting. Yeah. And like you said, it, there's, there's just so much and it's always evolving. And so there's, I would imagine every day like presents new, exciting opportunities and challenges for you, which if you're like me, you know, you don't like to do the same thing over and over again, which I think you are <laughs> always seeking adventure and new, new challenges, which obviously it sounds like you've, you've kind of landed in that space, which is super cool. And I think, I mean, and I think now, because again, we are in still the early stages of all this folks like Schneider electric, or I'm sure there's, you know, you have competitors amongst the space. It's just going to be a market and a segment that continues to grow and grow and grow. And so, you know, I applaud you for getting in on it early and tackling it and, and learning. Cause there's, I mean, at the end of the day, I think every company to some degree is going to look at solutions to become, I don't know if you want to call it net zero or just more sustainable or whatever, however you, you define that. I think it's just something that people are, are continuously being interested in. And especially as, you know, the new generation of people enter the workforce and become, get into management, new investors that perhaps view the world a little differently than traditional you know, the older generation of investors, these are things that we have to learn and understand in order to be successful. Because if investors and stakeholders desire this stuff, I mean, unless, I mean, surely there's going to be companies that say, oh, this is whatever, we don't need to do it. But 
it's cool to see that there are solutions and folks like yourselves that are, that are in this space. Cause I didn't, I didn't have any idea about it until we talked at one point. I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Cause even, even at my company, I've said, Hey, you know, do we have any sustainability goals? Do we have any targets? And it's kind of like a head scratcher, but I know a lot of our customers who are large oil and gas majors, they're doing it. And it's only going to become time to where they will only use vendors who also have certain ESG targets or who meet certain metrics. And so I'm a big proponent of at least getting on board and educating ourselves as managers and, and leaders or you know, C-suite folks to at least know which direction to go when the pressure's on. And I think if people kind of lag behind, yeah, you don't want to fall behind because it could really impact your business in the future. Absolutely. I mean, you said it perfectly and you know, it's not like it's super, super new, like this is super early, but it's early for it to be so mainstream like it is, like oil and gas coming on board, Triple M coming on board. Companies, you know, the tech space has been in this for a little bit now. You know, they're kind of that first, the first movers. But now that you're seeing so many different companies in different segments, cruise ships, airlines, you know, that yeah. you're kind of like, what, how are they going to do this? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, we talked about your capstone projects with shipping, logistics. So it's those that is truly, really fascinating because just like you said, I mean, money talks and people are truly investing in folks that are looking to take climate change seriously. And whether you want to set a net zero goal or not, doesn't matter. You have to do something because at one point that'll be the reason why people don't invest in you. Yeah. <laughs> Drop the mic. I mean, that's, you're exactly right. Well, this has been such a fascinating conversation, but before we close out, I do want to ask a few questions that aren't related to work or anything like that. Just kind of some sort of fun at the end of the podcast questions. So I know you're adventurous. You've done a lot of stuff over the years, but when's the last time you tried something for the very first time? Does anything come to mind? Okay. Um, this is a good example. I'm getting into cross-country skiing. My goal is to, to do a race next year. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I showed up to the freaking Nordic Center with my gear for the first time. And they said, oh, okay, you, you must be, you know, you must know what you're doing. I was like, nope, I've never tried on these boots. I just took them out of the box. Like I have <laughs> no freaking idea what I'm doing. I just know I want to do this, you know? Yeah. Like, and they kind of looked at me like, oh my God. And I was like, yeah, I'm here to send, I, I need a lesson. I yeah. need a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Can you show me what to do with this yeah, stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, just trying to do something a little bit different in the winter time. Good for you. That's where a very humbling experience coming in, felt a little embarrassed, but I just kind of was like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I know I want to do it. Just help me out. So that's funny. So growing up again in Canada, lots of snow on the ground most of the time, but we would have gym class where we would do cross country skiing around no the around the football field and they had a track so yeah we were like a bunch of young kids ripping around the fields on the you know cuz they basically dig out these trails and you you know you go and then as a field trip we would go up into silver star which was a local ski resort and we would cross country ski for a full day and we would stop cool. at like the little chalets have hot chocolate and like you know there were some like it's a workout. Like there's no doubt. Oh, yeah. and, and so like anytime oh, yeah. you get a little bit of a downhill slope, you're just like, hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you tuck the poles and you just try and get as far as you can until you're like, oh, now I got to go again. 
You know, the best part is I actually don't really know how to ski. So me going forward with these two sticks is also very new to me. I've yeah. been like sideways my whole life. So right, yeah. I feel like, you know, a giraffe on roller skates. It's just so odd. <laughs> Oh, but that's excited great. Excited for it. Yeah. It's a good glute builder. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, last question. You know, obviously, you're busy. You've got a lot going on, essentially, new career you've started recently. But do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your success that keep you dialed in, charged up, and ready to attack every day? You know, I think what I realized during COVID and working from home. For me specifically, getting some sort of workout in, and it could be as simple as a walk outside for a longer period of time. I think before when I was in the office constantly, I just never made that time for myself as much as I needed to. And here I really try to make it a daily habit because you just feel so much better Mm -hmm. stepping away from that desk doing a workout class, getting a walk in, God, even like stepping away and reading for like 30 minutes. It's just that separation from the computer that when you were in the office constantly, you were just like, I can't get away. I'm here eight to five. where, Where am I supposed to go? Yeah. That right there, that habit has really changed kind of my, my work, just overall mental for work tremendously. Wow. Well, I think that's a huge takeaway. And it's sort of a common occurrence amongst folks because yeah, when I started working from home, it was easy for me to get up, you know, do my regular morning routine, brush teeth, whatever. And I typically work out before. So get up, go to the gym, come back. And I can sit down on my computer at seven o'clock in the morning or six 30, whatever, and literally not get up until grab some, either a cup of coffee or lunch. And then I would sit there till like five o'clock and I didn't have to commute. So I could just crank out a little extra work. And my wife would be like, you literally haven't moved for 12 hours. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, wow, you just kind of get sucked in. And so, and it was weird, right? Because you were working from home and normally you had either folks at the office looking or like you, you kind of knew what everyone was doing. And then it was just like, well, I'm working from home and I know I could step away, but is someone watching me or are they tracking me to make sure I'm working? Like, it was just weird. I felt obligated to sit at my computer, even though like totally. I may have not had anything to do. And so, oh my God. Yeah. It was the weirdest experience, but now, and, and I were kind of great. breaking through that. Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. wait a minute, I can leave. Yeah. <laughs> can, can I go to the market at 9am when it's like completely quiet and like knock out my grocery list? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Why not? Right. Exactly. Right. And there, there was that weird uncertainty of doing that. But now I think most people have understood it's like, wow, we, we can like, you know, now I can go drop my kids off at school at 830 in the morning, which is cool. And it's presented a lot of great opportunity. And there's a lot of silver lining aside from, you know, obviously tragic events through COVID. But yeah. with that said, I think it's great. A little exercise disconnecting is huge. But before we log off, I do want to take a moment to tell everyone about upcoming OGGN events. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief here at OGGN. Sorry for the interruption, but I wanted to share a couple of things for December. First is no industry mixer. We'll pick those back up in January. Second, from myself and from my entire OGGN team, we want to wish each and every one of you happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, a wonderful New Year's. Everybody stay safe. We're really looking forward to hitting 2022 with all of you. So thank you for being listeners. Have a great holiday. Have a great end of the year. Awesome. Thanks. And Grace, I know you mentioned the website, but... 
if folks are interested and now that they've kind of got to know you, would you be open for folks to connect with you on LinkedIn if they have any questions or you can yeah, help absolutely. point them in the right direction perhaps? And I, a lot of to. folks in Denver listen to this. So, you know, there may be some local folks that say, hey, let's grab a coffee. Would love to connect. Like I said before, all about networking, building relationships. Love to spend time and grab coffee with anyone that's interested. You know, you can find me on LinkedIn at Grace Corbett Long. So yeah. Perfect. Well, I'll put the link in the show notes. That way it's easy for people to access. I'll also put Schneider Electric's link as well so people can get on and cruise around the website. And with that said, everyone, thanks again for listening. If you could, please subscribe, share this episode. I think this is definitely one of the better episodes we've had in a long time, mainly just because I think there's a lot of value here and a lot of companies can benefit from even just having a conversation or grabbing coffee with Grace. So Grace, thanks again. I love what you're doing. Thanks for having me. It's been great connecting with you, building a working relationship and school relationship, nothing but the best. And for everyone out there, always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.